Hello and welcome to this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Isaac and today we are continuing on with our series titled Permanent Markers. Well, children bring us much joy and they can also wear us out. Anybody that's a parent knows this full well. So Pastor Dave is going to teach on the importance of not growing weary as we seek to leave a permanent mark on this next generation. And so we're hoping that this message can inspire you as parents or aunts and uncles, uh, you know, grandparents, whatever it might be, to leave a better permanent mark on the lives of the next generation. Hey, if you are wondering what's going on as the summer moves forward and as the fall uh, ushers in and the school year begins, our small group season begins, you can find all the information you may want at beartownroad.org. And so without further hesitation, let's move into this episode titled Marking the Next Generation. We are in part four today of Permanent Markers. If you are new, I met met at least one first-time family this morning. If you're newer around here or you've been a little bit in and out this summer, let me quickly get you caught up on the name of this series, Permanent Marker, because we kind of have a love-hate relationship with permanent markers. We love them when they can be used to label food to put in the freezer. (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) And we hate them whenever kids write all over themselves, right? So this is kind of the big idea with this series that my good and bad actions, we wish that it were just our good actions that left a permanent mark, but it's our bad actions as well that leave permanent marks on my life as well as the life of the people around us. So week one, we talked about it's kind of impossible to live a life of no regrets, but we can live a life of fewer regrets. And so that was week one. Week two, we talked about Abraham Lincoln. If you remember me giving that message from the uh, Gettysburg battlefields and at the end of President Lincoln's second inaugural address, he talked about binding up the nation's wounds. And I kind of encouraged us to be like the Good Samaritan who paused long enough to look at that person who's beat up or injured, whether it's physically or emotionally, and bind up their wounds or bandage up their wounds. And the last week, we looked at Elijah, who mentored Elisha, and we talked about the the power of mentoring. And I was really excited because seven of you got in touch with us and said that you would like to engage in mentoring relationships. And so we're excited about that. We'll continue the conversation in hopes that we can get even more of you to participate in the power of mentorship. Now, as I said last week, one of the reasons that we are so serious and we invest so much time and energy and finance in children's ministry as well as youth ministry is because we believe that your child needs more than just you as a parent to mentor them. Now, why is that? Because non-parent mentors are less emotionally invested and can provide unbiased wisdom. So, for example, Um, When my kids play baseball and I watch them strike out, I'm like, right, and I get all kind of like, you know, emotional. But when I go to your kid's game and your kid strikes out, I'm like, hey, it's okay, you know, better luck next time, right, because I'm not as emotionally invested. You know how you'll give your kid a bunch of advice and they won't take your advice, but they'll take the advice of a mentor, right? That's because your kid knows that you are so emotionally invested in them and they don't want to let you down. So sometimes they will talk to a mentor who's just less emotionally invested, can give unbiased opinions 
unbiased help. So grateful for those of you who participate in children's ministry. We've got, I don't know, like 80 volunteers showing up this week for Summer Blast, 150 volunteers. We're so excited about the opportunity to mentor the next generation, which leads me into today's message, uh, which is week four, Psalm 78. We're specifically going to talk about leaving a mark on the next generation. Now, unfortunately, we have a bit of a crisis of faith here in the American church. Okay, We've got a crisis of faith. I spent like an hour or so this past week reading a bunch of statistics that just kind of depressed me. I don't like leave my office and go think about something different. Um, here's a couple of those very, very discouraging statistics. Did you know that 30% of young adults raised in a religious tradition have become nuns, right? Not N-U-N, not a Catholic nun, but a nun. Like these are the kids that when they fill out a form and it says, which religion are you? They check unaffiliated. So they're either agnostic or atheist or just non-religious. Religion is ir, uh, it's irrelevant to my life, right? So 30% of those who grow up in a church end up leaving the faith altogether when they become a young adult. And 70% of these young adult nuns say they stopped identifying with their childhood religion when they were younger than 18 years old. This is why we invest in children's ministry and in youth ministry, and this is why we want to inspire you as parents and grandparents and, and mentors to raise up the next generation of young people. Now, in my opinion, there are two reasons, two main reasons as to why we're losing so many young people to the faith. The first is because young people received faith-based answers to fact-based questions, right? Th this may be even you. Maybe a, you're a young person, high school person in the room, and you're thinking about leaving the faith. And one of the reasons you're considering leaving the faith is because you've asked fact-based questions and you've gotten faith-based responses, right? You said, I don't understand. Why does the Bible teach this? Or why do you think this? And we respond by saying, you just got to have faith. Right? Don't look behind the curtain. You just got to believe. Now, that line of thinking worked 20 years or so ago when I was growing up. Okay, So I graduated in 1996. So when I was a junior in high school and I had a struggle with faith or I had a question about the Bible, I could go up to somebody and say, hey, help me answer this, and they would do their best to answer it. If they didn't answer it to my satisfaction and said something as simple as you just need to believe, I was like, okay, I guess I'll try to believe and you know, hope that it works out. Those days are long gone because of this new invention called the internet, right? So 1995, I'll never forget this. I was sitting in my government classroom in high school, and we had to do a report where we had to gather a bunch of information. And back in those days, some of you remember this, if you're in your like mid-40s, late-40s and above, if you wanted to get information, you had to walk to the library and walk down the steps into the bowels of the library where it smelled bad and it was scary and dark, right? And you had to figure out card catalogs and figure out all that stuff. And then you'd come into your class with a report. One day, I'll never forget it, my friend B.J. Button got up and gave a report, and it was amazing. He had so much information. I'm like, did you spend all week in the bowels of the library? He goes, no, because BJ was the rich kid. Remember the rich kid in your class that everybody wanted to be like, and he had all the resources? And BJ gave this amazing report. I'm like, how did you get all that information? And he goes, it's this new thing called the internet. And I'm like, the what? Yeah, the internet, right? And then it just took off from there. So young people nowadays 
They don't need a mentor to get their information. They can just look it up online and they can find out what Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and all the the new atheists and agnostics believe. And as a result of this, we are losing so many young people to the faith. That's, That's answer or one of the reasons I think we're losing so many young people. The second one is this. I don't really need God to be happy, right? I'm looking at my friends in my high school or my friends in college. They seem to be just doing fine without faith and why do I, I mean, nobody can answer my questions. I'm not really sure why I'm following Jesus. They, they seem to be happening. And here's, here's the honest truth, guys. Like, as preachers, we love to say, you need the truth. You need the truth, right? And, and the reality is, young people, they're not on a truth quest. They're on a happiness quest, right? And they say things to us like, if that's true for you and it works for you, that's fine. But I don't care about what's true. I care about what works and I care about what's convenient and what makes me happy. I think those are the two main reasons why people are leaving the faith. But this is the really good news, okay? The good news is we do have a robust faith. We talked about that during our series, I Want to Believe. We do, in fact, have a robust faith. And I don't think your kids, when they get to college, need to be able to defend the entire Bible. I think that's too much work. Right? I don't think your kids need to win an argument with atheists like Richard Dawkins. I believe, I believe, and let me just show you a quote from C.S. Lewis. I love this quote. He said this. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Isn't that a great quote? This is sort of my vision for my kids. Not that they would be able to answer every single question that the world throws at them, but they would be convinced that Jesus predicted and pulled off his resurrection. And then he changed the world, and he, in fact, changed my life. And because Jesus changed my life, now I have a biblical worldview, and I see the world through the lens of my faith. I think that's how, or, or that's, that's one of the reasons that we keep um, our kids in the faith. So this is kind of what I want to talk about today, is how do we keep people in the faith? How do we keep our young people who are leaving in droves? How do we keep them staying with Jesus? Because it is, you know, you look at the statistics, it's, it's very difficult. And the good news is, there's a solution to this. The psalmist who wrote Psalm chapter 78 came up with a solution 3,000 years ago. So it has stood the test of time, right? So here's what the psalmist says. This is the way we engage our kids. This is the way we engage the next generation. This is the way we pass on the faith to our kids and our grandkids, our teenagers, so that when they go to college and when they get into the workforce, they keep on believing. Here's what the psalmist says. Psalm chapter 78, verse 1. Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. So it's kind of like the psalmist is like, all right, everyone huddle up, right? Everyone leaning in for a second. Those of you watching online, right, and you're looking up a recipe for some barbecue this afternoon, come back here. Everybody listen. This is huge, he says, right? I will open my mouth in parables. So I'll I'll teach you some everyday examples to give you a spiritual truth. This is what Jesus did. He mostly taught in parables. I'll open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, what we have heard and known. So we heard about these stories We know about these stories, and we've experienced them. What our fathers have told us, we, right, and this is huge. This isn't just me. This is all of us. This is our faith community known as Baritown Road Alliance Church, right? We are blessed, again, to have 150 kids coming to uh, Summer Blast. We've got dozens of kids involved in youth ministry. 
dozens of kids, almost 100 kids that show up for children's church every week. This is our incredible privilege and responsibility to raise up the next generation. So we will not hide them from their children. And this next verse is so powerful. This is a verse you might consider memorizing. Here's what he says. Everyone listening? Everyone on the edge of your seat? We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. Here's what the psalmist says. Our job, if we want to pass on the faith to the next generation, is that we would tell our kids about the praiseworthy deeds of God and the things that he's done in my life. One of the reasons we say you should be a mentor is because some of you experience the valleys and the up and downs of a relationship with God. You're like a library of wisdom, and we want you to pass that on to the next generation. We want you to tell the generation that is coming behind us about the praiseworthy deeds and the good things that God has done in your life. So I want to teach you a question that I think is very profound that you can begin to ask your children or your grandchildren or those you mentor, right? Um, when you pick them up from children's church, when you pick them up from summer blast, when you pick them up from school, when you're driving down the road, here's the question that I want to challenge you to implement in your everyday conversations. And it's this. What has God done for us today? Hey, what's God done for you today? What's God done for you today? You're sitting around, you're eating dinner. Hey, what's God done for you today? You're driving down the road, take him to the next event. Hey, what's God done for you today? And when you begin to ask that question, you, you will get your kids to realize, oh, yeah, everything that I have comes from the hand of God. This is what James says. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Everything that is in my hand comes from God. So, son, daughter, grandson, what has God done for you today? You begin to ask that question, you will start to get them to think about the good things that God has done. And then you share, this is what God has done in the past. This is what God has done today. Sometimes you will get some profound answers where you'll be like, wow, God did an amazing thing for you today. And other times, you'll get some really simple answers. Like I asked my son a couple days ago, hey, what did God do for you today? And he said, well, I got to show up at youth group, and I got to play spike ball with my friends. And I said, praise God that you have some good friends at this church that, that you can hang out with, right? I asked my other son as he was laying down to bed way too late. It was like 10 o'clock. I laid him down. I said, what has God done for you today? And then next thing I knew, it was midnight because I fell asleep after I asked him that question. So sometimes it doesn't go as well as you planned. You can ask this question for your really, really small ones. Like yesterday, I asked my two-year-old. She's almost three. I said, I said, hey, Carol, what has God done for you today? And she goes, hello. She said her friend Harlow. She's like, God has blessed me with it. She didn't say it all sophisticated like that. She just said Harlow, right? You think about all the good things that God has blessed your kids with and get them to start to think about that. That's how we tell the next generation about the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. That's how we get them engaged in the faith so that they won't leave the faith when they leave the house. Now, here's the interesting thing about the Bible, right? For those of us who are parents, we're raising kids. Again, maybe you're a, grand, a grandparent raising kids in the house. There is very little in the Bible that actually tells us how to raise our kids. It's like, that's the thing that stresses me out more than anything else is raising kids, and yet there's very little in the Bible that actually talks about it. But there is one passage along with Psalm 78 that gives us some really, really good advice. 
And it comes in Deuteronomy chapter 6 where Moses has about 2 million Israelites and they're camped on the other side of the Jordan River. They're getting ready to cross over into the promised land. And he gives them a speech. The speech would later on be recorded in the book of Deuteronomy, known as the book of the law. And here's what Moses says to the people on that day. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments in plural, now in the ancient Israel, they had the Ten Commandments and then they had 603 additional commandments. That's a lot of commandments to learn. Fortunately, if you're a Jesus follower, Jesus reduced it all to two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So they had 613. We get two commandments. Okay, love the Lord. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. According to the book of Deuteronomy, the discipleship model is just talk about God with your kids. Ask them, what has God done for you today when you're driving down the road, when you're gathered around in a circle when you're tucking them into bed at night, what has God done for you today? Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, right? Sometimes we give kids these little bracelets and summer blasts, right, so that they can be reminded of God's goodness. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Verse, verse 10, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you a land with large, flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful. (laughs) Now, as parents, we use that term all the time, be careful. You got that sharp knife and you're running across the lawn, you better be careful, right? You're playing with, you better be careful. It's slippery outside. Be careful. That stove is hot. Be careful. We use that term all the time. Moses says, you know when you need to be careful, right? And the Israelites are like, well, why do I need to be careful right now? I've got everything I need, right? I've got a house. I've got running water. I've got olive groves. I got enough food in my cupboard to last me a month. Why do I need to be careful? Life is good, right? Modern English American translation, most of us have enough food in our cupboards to last us months and enough money in our bank account to last us even further than that. We've got yards. We've got things to take care of of ourselves. Here's what Moses says. He says, you got to be careful when life is good. You got to be careful when you have everything. You got to be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Christian translation Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God who died on a cross to forgive you of your sins and to give you eternal life and an abundant life. You know what's your greatest danger? You know what my greatest danger is? It's not sharp knives. It's not thieves. It's not the stock market. You know what your greatest danger is? Comfort. Success. The good life. Moses says, when you do well, And when God has blessed you, it is so easy to forget his blessings. We tend to think, well, it's because of my hard work and my ingenuity, right? It's because of my wisdom. It's because I got the degree. And God says, well, where did you get your work ethic? Where did you get your intellect? 
Who allowed you to be born in the United States of America where we live on a piece of property from sea to shining sea? It's God. It all comes from the hand of God. And so we need to teach our children that everything that you have comes from the hand of God. So how has God blessed you today? What has God done for us today? Because after all, every good thing that you have comes from the hand of God. Back to Psalm 78, the psalmist goes on and he says, He, or God, decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. Well, why? So that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God. Because as parents, grandparents, We don't want our children to simply believe. We want them to trust God. We want them to trust God when they get to college and they're struggling to figure out their next step in life. We want them to trust God with the the finances and the career and the friends and the blessings that they've given them. Trust God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. So here's the, the great privilege that we have as a church and as parents, is that we've been given the baton of faith. We've been given the the blessings of the Lord. We've been given salvation in his name. It's a gift, but it's not a gift for us to just hold on to. It's a gift that we must pass to the next generation. And it is so easy to say, man, it's just too hard. It's too hard. And so we just, we, we drop the baton. And too many people, too many American Christians are dropping the baton, and we are losing young people by the droves. Proverbs 22.6 says this. It says, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. He will not depart from it. Now, training means the natural disposition of your heart and your children's heart is to just kind of veer off, so we got to bring them back. we got to train them. Training means hard work, right? Training means intentionality. Right? I don't need to train my kids to want ice cream. It's part of their natural disposition, and they have a pretty good mentor. Right? It's like, come follow me. We're going to peaches and cream. Right? We don't need to train our kids to get into arguments with their siblings, but we got to train them to think about God. we got to train them to engage in giving God honor and glory for the good things that he has given us. you got to train them. you got to train them. Training's hard work. Training's difficult, but it's worth it. You know, when it comes to exercise, I, I don't really like exercise. kind of hate it. Um, and when COVID hit, however long ago COVID was, it seems like it's been going on forever, but we're done with it now, right? COVID's over, right? <laughs> ha, ha, ha. When COVID hit, I kind of fell off the wagon with exercise, and so I thought to myself, I need a goal. Like, I need something to motivate me to to get back in the groove of exercise. And so my friend Bob and I decided to sign up for a Spartan race. And a Spartan race is um, 25 obstacles and 13 miles. And we signed up to do it in October, October 1st. And we knew if we do not train, we are going to die on that mountain. And so we would train like in the evening where it was dark and we couldn't even see. We did all kind of training exercises that we normally wouldn't do. And it wasn't even necessarily because we were motivated or we wanted to be healthy. We just didn't want to die. 
And so we did all these training exercises. We get to the, um, the Spartan race, which was in New Jersey. And again, there's about 25 obstacles. And there were a bunch of them we couldn't even do. They were too hard. We didn't have the strength to do it. There was one where you had to like climb up a rope and touch a bell. And I like missed the bell and came down and burned up my hands. And we were, it was just kind of a mess. We finished in like 500th place or something like that. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, we finished we, we finished the race, and I'm telling you, when we jumped, and I, I, I was like, am I really going to be able to make over these fiery coals? Because this isn't going to go well. But I made it over the coals, and I thought to myself, man, I'm so glad I trained. I didn't do it perfectly. I fell a whole bunch of times. I was not all that impressive, but I finished. I finished because I trained. And the Apostle Paul says this in 2 Timothy 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race I have kept the faith. This is a great vision statement for your children, for those children of ours who grow up in the faith, who grow up in church, that they would keep the faith, that they would keep it, that they would hold on to it, that they would see that everything in their lives isn't because they're smart, isn't because they have great parents, but it comes from the hand of God. Look, we know this, that hope is not a strategy. I just hope my kids are going to get into college and keep their faith. I just hope my kids are going to remain Jesus' fault. That's not a very good strategy. Training is the strategy. And look, I know it's hard work, right? It's like, ah, maybe tomorrow. Ah, maybe we'll just sleep in today. Ah, maybe we'll just skip this Sunday. See, we're doing summer blasts this week, right? We're celebrating God's greatness. Our goal is for you to come into this place and to celebrate the greatness of God. When you drop your kid off this week, you're sending them to training. And you should be so grateful that there are dozens and dozens of volunteers who will descend on this place to train your kids so that they can start to think about the greatness of God in their everyday life. You know, every, every year um, when, when we do Summer Blast, the last few years I've done the Bible teaching, right, and I put on like a crazy outfit and I put on a wig and I try to disguise my voice. I'm like, hey, my name is Joseph, and I'm so glad to see you here. And they're all like, you're Pastor Dave. I'm like, I don't know who he is, but I hear he's very handsome. And then I just I keep, keep on teaching. And by about the middle of the week here, I ask myself this question. I'm like, is it worth it? Is it really worth it? Like, this is a lot of energy. We put a lot of money. Like, next Sunday, we're going to have water slides. We're going to have all this food so you can come out and have a good time and, and meet people. And it's just, it's a lot of work to put together Summer Blast. And I think, is it worth it? And here, here's the answer to that. The answer is, yes, it's worth it. Not because we're going to see immediate results. Not because we're going to have a whole lot of amazing stories of what God did at Summer Blast. I mean, we will have some stories. You know, we'll raise money. Kids will memorize verses. But what we have done at Summer Blast is preventive discipleship. Because prevention is powerful. If we can prevent your kids from making future regrets, that's a powerful thing. You can't measure it. We can't measure how many bad decisions your kids avoided because we mentored them. We can't measure that. It's not emotional, but it is powerful. And so at the end of Summer Blast, we'll come back here next Sunday, and we'll sing some songs, and we'll celebrate. But there won't be many amazing stories. There'll be a few. But the amazing power of Summer Blast and children's ministry and youth ministry is that we're getting your kids preventive discipleship so that they can avoid a future 
of regrets. I like to say every time you gather with your kids and you say to them, what has God done for you today? Every time you ask that question, you put another brick down in the foundation of their faith. Every time you send them to children's church, summer blast, youth group, you put another brick down. And slowly but surely over time, they develop a firm foundation so that when the wind comes and the rain comes and someone tries to deconstruct their faith, your kid can stand in strength and say, my faith is indestructible. And I serve an indestructible Jesus and an indestructible God, and I'm going to praise him, and I'm going to shout glory to his name for everything he's given me, the little things as well as the big things. That's the vision that we should have for our kids. Because they're going to hit obstacles. They're going to hit hard times. Their boyfriend or girlfriend's going to dump them, and they're going to think life is all over. But we're preventing future regrets. And our vision is that they would keep the faith. Here's a question I want to ask you. In 20 years, what could be your greatest regrets? What could be your greatest regrets? I'll tell you what won't be your greatest regrets. You won't say, think about your 20, everybody, everyone know what age you are, right? Add 20 to that. Some of you are going to have children by then. Some of you are going to have grandchildren. Some of you are going to have great-grandchildren. And some of you will have passed to the next life enjoying everlasting bliss. But for those of us who will still be alive in 20 years, what's going to be your greatest regrets? I'll tell you what they won't be. They won't be, I wish I had gotten my kids involved in more activities. I wish I had more stuff for my kids to enjoy. I wish I had more toys. That won't be your greatest regret. Your greatest regret could be, I wish that I had engaged them more with the amazing amazing life of Jesus Christ. I wish we had talked about God more around the dinner table. I wish we had brought up the goodness of God as we're driving down the road. I wish that I had made it a priority to get my kids in church to train them up. So don't live with those regrets. So let's rewind 20 years to today. You have the opportunity to train up your children for that path. And the promise is they won't depart from it. Now, as we, as we get ready to, to, to close, I just want to address one thing real quick because I've been in ministry long enough to know that some of the most painful experiences in your life are when your children walk away from the Lord, right? And I, I remember a mentor who loves Jesus and raised his kids in the faith, and one of his kids walked away from the Lord. And he said, I had cancer and it was difficult, but it was not as difficult as when I saw my child walk away from the Lord. And some of you are great parents and you've done an amazing job raising your kids in the faith, but we can't control their hearts and some of their hearts do go astray. And I just have a word of inspiration for you that comes from Jeremiah chapter 32. Here's what he says. Ah, sovereign Lord, right? It's like, ah, my kids, ah. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing, no thing is too hard for our God. So even though your kids might be off the path, you keep praying that they're going to come back on the path. 
because nothing's too hard for your kids. Some of you are thinking, I got a teenager, and oh my goodness, I don't know how I'm going to get them back on a path. Nothing's too hard for God. His heart for your child is bigger than your heart for your child, so you keep on praying that God's going to bring them back. You keep on praying that though you have handed off the baton, they have dropped the baton. You keep praying that they pick it back up. You keep praying because God's got a heart for your kids. He is the prodigal God who loves your kids and wants to chase them down and bring them back into a right standing relationship with him. So I know it's awkward sometimes to bring up issues of faith with your kids. And I know it's difficult. And I know life gets busy and it's easy to just say, I won't send them to youth group this week or I will just take a week off. But I'm telling you, 20 years from now, what's going to be your greatest regret? My hope and my challenge to you is that you would train them up and that you would ask that question, what's God done for you today? What's God done for you today? And they would begin to think about all the good things that God has blessed them with and that when they get into their early and mid-20s, they will have kept the faith, this faith that is so precious to so many of us that we will pass off the baton and they will grab it and they will keep on running and they will finish the race that is marked out for them. Amen? I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up right now and we're gonna bless you with a song. Not we're gonna bless you. I'm not gonna bless you. They're gonna bless you with a song because if I give you the song, it wouldn't be a blessing. This song is about the blessings of God. It comes straight from Scripture, and it goes like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. My prayer is that the Lord would bless you to keep on keeping on. Don't, don't get weary. Don't lose heart. Keep on asking your kids what God has done for them. And my prayer is that his face will shine towards you that he would bless you and give you the strength and the power that you need to train them up and to love on them and to ask them questions and to give you peace. So I want to take about 30 seconds to ask you to just be silent before the Lord. Pray for your kids. Pray for your grandkids. Pray for Summer Blast. And then the worship team is going to sing this song over you. So be silent before the Lord for the next 30 seconds or so and pray. Lord Jesus, you've given us the immense privilege and also responsibility to pass on the faith to the next generation. God, would you give us the strength to do that well? To not grow tired and weary of it. 
to keep on bringing up that question, what has God done for you today? And to train them up. God, we're not gonna do this perfectly. We're gonna fall as the obstacles come and the, the mountains get high. But would you give us the strength to do it well? God, we in this moment wanna lift up all the prodigals that are represented in this room. Those kids who right now have walked off the path that you've laid down for them those who have chosen to leave the faith altogether, those who have chosen to leave the church, we lift them up to you, God. Nothing is impossible for you. There is nothing that our God can't do. And so I pray that you would reach down and grab their hearts and that they would turn to you, the author and the sustainer of their salvation and their life. We love you so much, God. We praise you for this moment. We, I pray for every parent in this room, every grandparent, every mentor, that we would pass on our faith to the next generation. Pray this in the name of our God, who is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There you go. And we hope that this pushes you to be better parents, to be better grandparents, aunts, uncles, to be better leaders of this next generation. And so until we are together again, I simply want to say thank you for joining in on this episode of the Baritone Road Alliance Church Podcast.